Hello and welcome to yet another episode of How Not to Suck at the Stocks. This is your host, Dan Hansen, and this particular episode is on Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Now, I'm a big fan of Gladwell. I've read almost all his books. I still have uh, What the Dog Saw left to read, but I'm a big fan. I recommend them all. This book in particular, I highly recommend because the subject matter, the theme, uh, is so fascinating. The theme was essentially, we as human beings are supremely confident in our ability to interpret the intentions of complete strangers, but we're actually quite terrible at it. So here is a famous example. I'm going to read you a quote. In short, I had established a certain confidence, which was my aim, and on my side, in spite of the hardness and the ruthlessness I thought I saw in his face, I got the impression that here was a man who could be relied upon when he had given his word. So that was actually written by the Prime Minister of Britain, Chamberlain, after he had returned from Nazi Germany, conducting peace talks with Adolf Hitler. Uh, He quite famously arrived on the tarmac waving this useless piece of paper that he and Hitler had signed and had declared, we have achieved peace in our time. Uh, More recently... I remember, was it, it was George W. Bush that said he had looked into the eyes of Vladimir Putin and had seen his soulmate. And here was Vladimir Putin, you know, ex-KGB, uh, evil dictator. He had seen his soulmate. Uh, so why is it that these political leaders are so inept at reading the true intentions of foreign leaders? Uh, Well, the author chalks it up to something he refers to as defaulting to truth. In other words, we see what we want to see, uh, and we discard information that does not agree with our conclusion. So, for example, uh, earlier in the peace talks, Hitler had exclaimed, quote, I am ready to face a world war. Uh, Not exactly a great sign we're trying to have peace talks with someone, but Chamberlain, he wanted peace. Britain wanted peace. He chose to default to the truth. The other person is telling uh, the truth. And the author describes default to truth as an evolutionary uh, phenomenon that basically... So if you're kind of a person that rocks the boat and is always being untrusting and you're always coming across as paranoid, you're probably going to become a social pariah. If you're always questioning authority, you're probably going to be expelled from the group, uh, which is quite dangerous to your survival. Uh, That's at least what the uh, author claims. I don't know if I quite believe it. Uh, Another, and just so you don't think it's just politicians, um, it happened with our own intelligence agency, uh, the CIA. So this was another fascinating example where... A Cuban spy defected to the CIA, and the CIA wasn't quite sure if this if this defector was legitimate or if he was a double agent. And so the Cuban spy said, here, here's a list of all of these American spies, the CIA operatives working in Cuba right now. And the CIA was amazed. This guy had the names of nearly all their agents working in Cuba at the time. And they they wanted to know how we had gotten those names. And the Cuban spy told them, these CIA spies are not CIA spies. They don't work for America. They work for Cuba. They work for Fidel Castro. So 
all these CIA spies that the CIA had in Cuba ended up being double agents working for uh, Fidel. And one chapter was on who the author called the, the Queen of Cuba. And so counterintelligence was kind of onto her because one time in a special situation, what is it called? The Situation Room, she just got up and left. And it turns out she went to make a phone call to Cuba to tell the Cubans what the CIA was up to. Uh, but when she was later questioned about leaving the Situation Room abruptly, she just said, oh, well, you know, it was getting late and I, I was hungry and I was kind of bored and... And the counterintelligence agent, he was suspicious. These were red flags. You can't just get up in the middle of a, sit, a situation room meeting like this. But her story made sense. So he defaulted to truth. And it wasn't, of course, until years later, it turned out that uh, she was this master spy. And she was, I, I buried the lead, she was high up in the CIA. She wasn't uh, just some, some grunt. Uh, let's see, another example from the book. Okay, uh, Sandusky. So... Here we go. So if you don't know, Sandusky was a pedophile coach for the University of... I don't even know. I forget. But in any case, here he was being interviewed by NBC sports anchor Bob Costas. Bob Costas asks, point blank, Are you sexually attracted to young boys? To underage boys? Sandusky replies, Am I sexually attracted to underage boys? Pause. Costas, yes. Another pause. Sandusky, sexually attracted, you know, I, I enjoy young people. I, I love to be around them. I, I, but no, I'm not sexually attracted to young boys. Now, hearing that, it seems pretty obvious that Sandusky was guilty. And I'm not saying he wasn't guilty, but you may be falling for another fallacy that Malcolm Gladwell presents in his book called transparency. Transparency is the assumption that people behave like caricatures. So here, uh, Sandusky is deflecting the question. He is stammering. Um, he's repeating the question, if I didn't say that already. <laughs> so he comes across as if he's guilty. Uh but people don't always act in the stereotypical manner in which we are made to think. So uh, one chapter is on Friends. And he talks about he can watch Friends with the sound off and still follow what's going on. Because the characters, they wear their emotions on their sleeves, which is a polite way of saying they overact. Uh, when they are surprised, their eyes are wide open and their mouth is a gap. Uh, when they're angry, their eyebrows furrow and their mouth clenches and their teeth, uh, their, their hands clench. People don't always act so transparent. Different people react differently in different situations, and people from different cultures react differently in different uh, cultures. I remember once I was selling a couch to this Indian couple, and the husband asked the wife if she liked it, and she kind of nodded her head left and right. And then I was surprised when that meant yes. And I asked him about it because here in America, you nod your head up and down to mean yes. Uh, and he just explained that in India, nodding your head left and right means yes. So anyway, it's just an example of how different cultures, uh, different physical cues can mean uh, different things. Wait one second here. 
Okay, so this ties into the case of Amanda Knox. So Amanda Knox, her and her boyfriend came across this murder, this murder scene, and she told the police about it and then immediately became the prime suspect because when she went to the murder scene with the police, she put on these little paper booties so she wouldn't contaminate the crime scene. And when she was done, she did this kind of curtsy, like, ta-da! And the police saw that, and they thought, hmm, that seems suspicious. That's not how someone should behave at the crime scene. Well, it turns out that Amanda Knox, uh, she did weird shit all the time. She was unpopular in high school because she would break out into song and dance at inappropriate intervals. Uh, But again, going back to transparency, we tend to assume that people should behave the the stereotypical manner in which we think they should behave given the situation. Uh, The final theme I'm going to talk about in this book is coupling. Uh, So I don't really know what this has to do with talking to strangers necessarily, but coupling is best illustrated with this, this one point. So... In Britain, the gas you use for your stove could kill you. It could suffocate you. So it was a very popular way to commit suicide. You just stick your head in the stove, and there you go. And so what if I told you that when people stopped using... Sorry, when Britain stopped using that poisonous gas and replaced it with just non-poisonous gas, what if I told you that suicide rates actually went down? Uh, This is somewhat counterintuitive because the argument you often hear is that, well, if if you turned off the poisonous gas, people would just find other ways to commit suicide, right? They would jump off a bridge, they'd... whatever. Um, Well, according to this one case, uh, that people were coupled to the idea of killing themselves with gas. And when you removed the gas, suicide rates declined. Um... And I believe the author implies, if not explicitly, that this could tie into the gun control issue here in America, which, of course, is, well, if you take away guns, uh, people are still going to kill themselves, or kill other people, rather. I don't particularly want to discuss that here because it's a whole other issue. Uh, But one final thing that I found interesting was uh, Kansas City. So essentially in Kansas City, the police determined that the vast majority of their crimes were coming from a small percentage of the geographical area, better known as the 80-20 rule. And there were, there were reasons for this. For example, it could be on the edge of neighboring gangs, right? Warring gangs fighting over turf. Or it could be a hot spot where uh, prostitutes and Johns would meet up, which makes sense because if you're a prostitute, you're going to go where the Johns are. And if you're a John, you're going to go where the prostitutes are. So it creates kind of like this network effect in that geographical area. So what the police of Kansas City started doing is they would actively police in those areas. So with very, with a very scant amount of police officers, but those police officers would actively police, meaning pulling people over questioning them for really just no reason. And what they saw is crime dramatically fell in Kansas City. And so police departments all over the country started mimicking uh, the Kansas City approach, except they forgot about the limited geographical area. They forgot about the focused on the criminal hotspots part and just stayed with 
the pulling people over people pulling people over for no reason and questioning people as if they were criminals uh, all the time mantra. So this is interesting because I always just thought cops were assholes. Turns out they are trained to be assholes. In most of my experiences with cops, they always question you, me, as if I'm a criminal. So uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but basically uh, this one guy had a gun. He was drunk. He was waving it around. So I snuck off and I called the police and the guy had vanished. The police couldn't find him. And when the one police officer came to my front door to do kind of a a follow-up, whatever you'd call it, uh, I was stammering over my words. And I was like, oh, sorry, I'm just kind of nervous. And I shit you not, the cop goes, why are you nervous? You do something wrong? And I'm like, no, there was a fucking drunk guy with a gun like five minutes ago. Why wouldn't I be nervous? And so anyway, that's my point. It's like cops are just trained to suspect everyone, make everyone out to be a criminal. And I had always wondered why. Well, it turns out they actually were misinterpreting this Kansas City uh, study. And so it comes to a head in the book with this, let me get her name right, because she ended up killing herself. Uh, It was a lady named Sandra Bland, if you want to Google her. Uh, Essentially, she was driving, this one cop was behind her, and he sped up really fast, and so she changed lanes to get out of his way, and then he pulled her over for not using her turn signal. And so she was like, what the hell, I was just getting out of your way, because you were speeding up, and then you're just pulling me over for not using a turn signal? And so she was getting really defensive, and the police officer wanted her to step out of the car, and she's like, for a turn signal? Like, what, am I under arrest? And he's like, yes, you're under arrest. And again, she's like, for a turn signal. You are arresting me for a turn signal. And so uh, it ended up coming to blows, and he pulled her out, and uh, she got arrested. She ended up hanging herself in her cell. He ended up getting fired. And he told the prosecutors that he thought the woman was behaving suspiciously because she was so irritable and she the spoiler alert i guess it isn't a spoiler alert but um plot twist i should say he was never actually going to give her a ticket he was going to write her off with a warning for the turn signal thing he was just following the kansas city style of policing and this guy in particular had a history of just pulling way too many people over and so again it, it goes back to transparency a little bit where when he saw her acting irritated, he thought, well, that's suspicious. But he wasn't thinking maybe she's irritated because she's been pulled over a lot recently, like she was, because she owed $5,000 in traffic fines, like she did. And here she thought she was getting another one. Uh, So I think the long story short, and what you can really take away from the book, is that People aren't cartoons. People are complex. They have different reasons for behaving the way uh, they're behaving. And it's actually really hard to look into a man's eyes and read his soul. Um, And there's plenty of great examples from the book that I left out just because of time, such as judges, how terrible judges are at determining uh, the innocence of someone just by the way they look, how terrible they are determining whether or not the criminal is going to be a flight risk if he's provided bail, if he's going to end up back in jail, if he's uh, set free, uh, those kind of things. So it isn't just police officers, it isn't just politicians, it isn't just the CIA, it isn't just judges. Uh, It happens to be all of us. We are innately terrible at interpreting the intentions of strangers. So anyway, highly recommend it. Hope you found this interesting. Thank you very much 
for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Hanson Asset. Uh, have a great day. Bye-bye.